Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire, and I'm an associate pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. It's a great delight to be with you again this morning. And uh, once again, it's winter. (laughs) And uh, I'm thinking that maybe if we get invited here again, hopefully it'll be maybe in July or August, maybe September. (laughs) Should be safe then, but... um, But we are thankful for a safe journey here this morning and so glad that we can uh, be gathered together here in this place. Uh, Last last week when I was here, or two weeks ago, uh, I had made mention of uh, my wife's hair and how that gets a lot of attention. And um, and so last Sunday we were speaking at a at a church in Mississauga and the pastor there was meeting Angie and I for the first time and and a female pastor was enthralled with Angie's hair. And uh, she, she came up to her, she's like, look at your hair, I just want to touch it. And she reaches out and, and touches it, and then she looks over at me, and she's like, did you, like, make a donation to this or what? <laughs> and uh, I said, no, no, it's just all by itself, it's been, become beautiful. And uh, anyway, but then when she was introducing us to the congregation, or introducing me because I was going to preach, uh, she was telling them how she was so enthralled with Angie's hair and how I have such a lack of hair and then she proceeded to uh, introduce me as someone who is bold and bald (laughs) and so uh, so here I am today bold and bald and uh, eager to share God's God's message uh, that he's laid on my heart with you Uh, I'm not going to say a lot about what Angie and I do I said that a couple weeks ago and uh, if you weren't here then and and you want to if you Forget what I said two weeks ago, and you want to check it out, you can go to our website, arisenow.ca, and uh, it has all the information about the different things that we do and are involved in. And uh, I do appreciate you mentioning us uh, in, uh, in your congregational prayers. I uh, so appreciate that. Thank you. And, uh, and so we also have our books on display in the, in the foyer, and you feel, feel free to check them out afterwards, and I'd be glad to chat with any of you if you have any questions about what Angie and I are involved in. And so today uh, is a conclusion of what we started two weeks ago, Trust Structures of the Heart. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to bring this to a close today, and I'm eager to share this message because I have, I've realized as this, this message kind of has evolved and it has kind of grown in me, I've realized how, how practical this is in my own life. And, and when, um, I mean, I really like, when I, whatever I share to be really practical in my own life so that it hopefully is helpful to those that hear it. And so, so this, um, this has really been challenging my heart, and I trust as, as we share today that the Spirit will be at work in your heart and it will become applicable in each one of your lives in exactly the way that you need it. And that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. You know, I can speak the same message and there's dozens of you in this room and many watching online and the Holy Spirit can make it personal to you in just the way that you need to hear it. 
And so I pray that that is the case here today. I love that you were giving Bibles out this morning, and in that responsive reading, you had the text that we're using, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, uh, and you even uh, used some of the verses from the beginning of Proverbs chapter 3, which I love. Uh, but let's just pick that up again in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, your whole heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So we, we started uh, two weeks ago by talking about trust, and, and how do we know that we trust in God, and what is trust in God? Well, a definition of trust is to rely confidently on. And so if you're going to trust someone or something, you're going to have a reason to believe that you can put your confidence in that person. And so, so when we talk about trusting in God, we are relying confidently on Him. And it is based on our experience. It's based on, on who we have uh, seen Him to be and how He's been faithful in our lives over and over. And our trust begins to grow. But how in the midst of life do you and I know that we trust in God? How do we know that it is with our whole heart? It's not just something that we express, but no, we need to be able to know it within our heart. Well, it's in the midst of tests, it's in the midst of trials, it's in the midst of difficulties that we realize whether our trust is really in God or not. And so I quoted last time Proverbs 17, verse 3, uh, the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but it is the Lord that tests the heart. So it's in the midst of those difficult times, the tests where the heat is turned up and what's in us rises to the surface and we can see what is truly in our heart. And it's in those times that I trust that you and I will embrace those difficulties and embrace those tests and embrace that heat and, and we would allow the Holy Spirit to help us skim off of the, the surface, the, the impurities and the things that are causing us to trust in ourselves and not trust in God. So we began um, talking then about uh, trust structures of the heart. Uh, I got that phrase from a book by Robert Mulholland, uh, which is a uh, book is called Invitation to a Journey, a book on spiritual formation. And in that book, he talks about uh, one of the stages of spiritual formation is purga purgation, which is where we begin to deal with the behaviors in our life that need to change, the sinful patterns, the sinful thoughts and attitudes. And, and, and one of the stages of that is where, where we, we get right down to the very core of our being and we deal with what he refers to as trust structures of the heart. And he defines trust structures in our heart as deep, uh, deep inner orientations of our being that do not trust God but rely on ourself for our own well-being. And we all have them. And the process that we're in is, is, is discovering what they are and, and dealing with them in healthy and effective ways so you and I can put our trust more fully in God. And so as I was pondering this, uh, I began last time with, with two of the four trust structures that we're focusing on. We looked at traditions. What are traditions? They're, they're ways of doing things, customary manners or practices that we, we establish. They're forms, things that we pass on down to the next generation often. And we, we need these kinds of things. We can't function without a form, without a structure. 
But the problem in the midst of that many times is that we, we start to put our trust in the form instead of in the, in the God whom we're worshiping. And we looked at a variety of uh, things related to that. I wanted to just share uh, real quickly that, uh, uh, you know, we got into church planting uh, about almost 30 years ago. And, uh, and so we began as a house church. And so we went from going to church every Sunday, which I had done for many years of my life, to meeting now in a home. And, and we started to think, well, we're meeting in a home with uh, just some regular people who haven't been to church. And, and so we're like, we don't really need to maybe dress up in the same way that we had used to when we had gone to church for many years, to the church, to the church building. And so this was a big adjustment. In fact, there was one of the guys who was with us in the leadership of this. He really struggled with this. And it's, it's, I'm just sharing this because this is an example of breaking free from a tradition and trusting God in the midst of it. And then, you know, you think, well, a new church, well, you don't really have traditions. Well, I want to say that as soon as you do something more than once, it starts to move in the, in the, in the direction of becoming a tradition. And so, so you know, uh, um, I know I don't, I've only been here twice, but I know that in my two times in coming, some of you are sitting in the same spots you were two weeks ago. And probably if I came back in two weeks, you'd probably still be sitting in those same pews. And I know I grew up at East Shore Mennonite Church, and I went back uh, a number of years after we had left. And it was like, it was like nothing had changed. It was like uh, all these people were still sitting in the same pew. So I want to encourage you to try something different, just as an act of, of faith and an act of, I'm not going to be bound by tradition. So next Sunday when you gather, if you always sit here, sit over there or over there or whatever. Just do something different so that we do not get bound by tradition and put our, our trust in it without even knowing it. You know, as a new church, we, uh, we were meeting in a... When we began meeting in a bigger gathering on Sunday morning, we started meeting in a community center, and we set up an overhead projector to put the, the words up on the screen. Uh, not quite as fancy as the system we have now. Uh, you know, technology has advanced some, but we had this overhead projector, and we had set it up right in the middle, and the screen was set up behind it uh, so that everybody could see the words. And then we decided, well, it would be better if the worship team was in the middle and the overhead projector was at the side. So after a few weeks, we moved the screen from the middle to the side. Well, guess what? That threw some people for a, a loop. And we had only been doing this for a few weeks. We begin to, to put our trust in the forms, in the traditions, and they can keep us from trusting in God. The second thing we looked at was theology. It's, it's our beliefs about the Bible. It's, it's our doctrinal statements. It's, it's what we believe in our hearts about who God is and how he works. And we looked at different ways of how that can become a trust structure in our heart. I remember that uh, in 1985, I was in Florida at a place called Christian Retreat, and I was taking a 10-week School of Ministry course there. Uh, it was run by a guy named Gerald Durstein, who maybe some of you have heard of, maybe not. Uh, but anyway, he, uh, he said something that I have never forgotten these many years later. And he was teaching us one day about, um, 
about some of his, his, his understanding of Scripture as it related to Israel and the end-time events. Because he had done a lot of work in Israel. They had churches there. And he was teaching us about that. And then he said something I've never forgotten. He said, this is my current understanding of this. You know, there, there needs to be a, a flexibility and a fluidity to our theology. And, and at some level, that can feel like, oh, I don't like that. Because I just want it to be like here and neat and in a little box. But I've realized the longer that I have lived, the, the more my theology is not the same as it was 10, 5, um, 20, 30 years ago. It keeps changing, it keeps evolving, it keeps growing as my, as my relationship with God is, uh, is growing and I gain more understanding of who He is. And so our trust needs to be in the God who the theology is about and realize that we do not have a perfect understanding or our theology can become a trust structure within our heart. And today we're going to pick up on the last two that um, we mentioned last time. Does anybody remember what they are? Anybody? Okay. Talents. Yes, that's, that's the second one. And the first one that we're going to talk about is thinking. So let's, let's give our thoughts to thinking. It's something that you are doing constantly. You're doing it right now. You're thinking while you're listening. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, As a person thinks in their heart, so are they. Wow. As you and I think within, that's going to determine the person that we are. It's so important. There's another verse, Romans 12, verse 2 which tells us the incredible power of your thoughts and mine. Paul is writing, he says, Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, so we live in a world that is wanting to impress and, and, uh, and, and just put its desires and its, its patterns and its habits all over us. And we are all affected by it, probably way more than we realize, by everything that you see and listen to. And so how in the midst of that do we bring about a transformation? Do we allow the Holy Spirit to, to do the work in our hearts that he wants to do, to bring us into uh, where Paul writes in, in, Col in Galatians 4, verses 19 and 20, where he talks about that I am in, in, in the pains of childbirth so that Christ can be formed in you. And that is the goal in each one of us, that Christ is formed in us. And how does that transformation take place? It takes place by the renewing of our minds. Learning to think in new ways. The Bible has much to say about thinking, and we can't, can't get into all of it here this morning. But just one, uh, two other verses. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your mind for action. That's where the battle is taking place. 
And then in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul writes and he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then he goes on in verse 2 and he says, Set your mind on things above. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So th there's this whole thing of being intentional about our thinking. And directing it in the, in the place where it should go. Set our hearts on things above. Set our mind on things above. I want to encourage you in that. That we become intentional thinkers. Now, how does thinking become a trust structure within our heart? Well, I'm going to give you a, uh, a couple examples from Scripture that then tie in with my own experience and my own journey. First one comes from Matthew chapter 16, verse, uh, starting in verse 13. And it's a passage where um, Jesus is with his disciples, and he had been uh, functioning in his ministry for some time at this point. And, and so he says to his disciples, he says he, he, he wants to know who are the people saying that I am? And the disciples respond and they say, well, some are saying John the Baptist, some are saying Elijah, some are saying Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus makes it personal. He says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter is often the spokesperson for, for the group of 12. He's the first one to speak. And he says, you are are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then P Jesus says to Peter, Peter, well, he says, Simon, son of Jonah, this was not revealed to you by man. This was revealed to you by God the Father. It's what, what Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 1, where he says, I pray that you will have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. It's what he writes, Paul writes about in Colossians chapter 2, where he says that you would have, I pray that you have the full riches of complete understanding so that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So there's some things about Jesus there's this mystery, there's some hidden things, and the only way that you and I are going to gain an understanding about them is through this spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's the, not things that can be taught by a person, but it's things that are revealed to you and I by God. It's having the eyes of our heart enlightened. It's those aha moments. Where all of a sudden, you know, you, you've read the same scripture a hundred times and, and then all of a sudden you read it. Oh, now I get it. It makes sense. That's the kind of moment that Peter was experiencing there. And then Jesus goes on and, and he says that you are Peter and on this rock I'm going to build my church and, and so on and so forth. And we're not going to get into all of what else was said there. But then a few verses later, It says, from that time on, so we don't know if this, this next part happened like, you know, 30 minutes after the, the previous section that I just talked about, or if it was several days, but it was soon after. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to speak to his disciples about the fact that he was going to have to suffer many things at the hands of the religious leaders, and that he was going to he was gonna have to suffer, he was going to have to die, and that he would be raised again on the third day. And Peter, Peter was thinking, no, no, this just can't be. 
And so, so Peter, who just had this revelation from God that Jesus was the Messiah, he takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. And he says, no, no, Jesus, this can never be. You got it wrong. And I'm thinking, like we're reading this, we read the previous part, we read this like one right after the other, and we're just like, Peter, what are you saying? Like from our perspective, why would he say that? Peter was trusting his theology about who the Messiah was and what this was going to look like and how the plan uh, of the Messiah was going to unfold. And it wasn't that the Messiah was going to die. No, the Messiah was going to be the conquering king. And then, so Peter says this to Jesus, and then Jesus says to Peter, he says, Get out of my sight, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind, in your thoughts, the things of God, but you have in mind the things of man. Wow. From this wonderful moment to this polar opposite rebuke. Peter was trusting his own thoughts, his mindset, his, his understanding. What did we say in Proverbs 3, 5? Trust in the Lord with your whole heart. Lean not on your own understanding. About a year ago, in the midst of the times that we're living in in COVID, uh, where there's been a lot of opinions and a lot of it talked about, there was some things going on that were pertinent and, and people were talking about it regularly in the circles I was in and I was eager to be a part of it because I had an opinion and I wanted to share it. So sometimes I even initiated the conversation. I didn't wait for others to start it. And then one day I was praying and I, I just thought, you know what, I've never really asked God what his perspective on this situation is. So I did. Now, I want to say that I think the rebuke wasn't as harsh as what Jesus gave Peter, but nonetheless, I felt a rebuke from the Holy Spirit. And I knew immediately I need to stop talking about what I was talking about. I needed to get God's perspective, and I needed to trust in Him, not my own understanding not my own thinking. Another example from Scripture comes from the book of Mark. And uh, these are familiar stories. We ha it's the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6 where all these people have gathered and, and Jesus is like, well, well, we should feed them. And the disciples are like, well, it's going to take like eight months wages to feed this many people. And Jesus is like, well, what do you have? And they said, well, we have these five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus is like, that should do. Bring him to me. He gives thanks. They begin to hand it out. And we know the story. They, they fed all these people and they had way more left over than what they started with. Then fast forward a couple chapters into Mark chapter 8 and we have the feeding of the 4,000. So they, again, the, there's all these people that have gathered around Jesus to hear what he has to say. 
and and uh, and they're they're tired. And Jesus is like, well, we should we should feed these people. And the disciples are like, well, we're in a remote place. Where could we ever get enough food to feed this many? And Jesus says again, what do you have? And they said, well, we this time we got seven loaves. And some of the stories will tell us uh, in, in not in Mark, but in the other passages will say they had a few small fish. So again, Jesus took that, gave thanks, and it was multiplied, and it fed everyone. So then they leave that place. Uh, I think it's in Mark 8, 14. They get in a boat, and they go across, and it, it's noted when they get in the boat that they, they didn't bring bread along except for one loaf. And then Jesus begins to teach the disciples, and he says to them, he says, uh, says I want you to be aware and be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. And I think in that moment, Jesus is wanting to give his disciples a teaching and some instruction about the dangers of the religious systems and the political systems. But in the midst of it, the disciples, they're focused on the fact that they don't have bread. So, so they're like, is he, is he saying this because we only brought one loaf that we don't have enough bread? And then Jesus says something very interesting in Mark chapter 8, uh, I believe it's verse 17. He says, why are you talking about having no bread? The King James says, why do you reason about having no bread? And then he goes on and he says, are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? Do you have ears but fail to hear? Do you not remember what just happened? And he, he brings back to their mind about the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. But I got thinking around this phrase, why are you reasoning about having no bread? Let's say it this way. Why are you talking about what you don't have? I heard a teaching on this uh, about six months ago by a fellow named Bill Johnson, and he said this phrase that I've been wrestling with ever since. And I want to share it with you so you can wrestle with it too. <laughs> He said, any thought process that you and I have that begins with what we don't have will need to be repented of. Any thought process that we have that begins with what we don't have will need to be repented of. And I, I got thinking, I thought, wow, I've got some thought process that needs some repenting of. And as I, as I realize this, I realize there's three main areas that I've seen in my life and in the people that I've related with, and I invite you to consider these, and maybe there's some others that you might uh, uh, feel the Spirit's bringing into your mind. But the three main areas that I have spent time talking about what I don't have is I don't have enough time, I don't have enough resources, and I don't have enough talent or ability to do what God has called me to do. I remember uh, in the late 90s, after we had been into church planning for a number of years, I, I remember walking with the, uh, one of the other fellows who was in leadership with us, who was thankfully was older and wiser than me. And I was saying to him, I feel like I can't fulfill 
the call of God on my life be the way that I'm supposed to because I don't have enough money. And thankfully, this fellow said to me, he said, Paul, it just can't be. And you know, it has taken me a number of years to get past that mindset. Somewhere along the way, I, I bought into the lie that I didn't have enough money to fulfill the call that God had on my life. Why do you reason about what you don't have? What is Jesus saying to the disciples? What is the model that he gives us in the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000? He's like, bring to me what you have. It is enough, and you offer it up to me. Offer up to me your time. Offer up to me your talents, your abilities, the gifts that I have given to you. Offer up to me the resources that I have given to you, and then trust me and walk with me. And I have since learned that every day now I confess this. God, I thank you that I have everything that I need today to fulfill the call of God on my life. You each have everything that you need today to fulfill the call of God on your life. And if you can't believe me and say that statement with me, I challenge you to tear down the trust structure in your mind that is keeping you from trusting fully in God. God doesn't call us and then just say, well, someday... You're going to be ready. Someday you'll have enough money. Someday you'll have enough time. Someday you'll have enough talent. And I'm not saying that we don't need to make adjustments in our schedules to, to create more time. I'm not saying that, that we can't raise money or, or develop business ideas to, to produce more funds in our lives or that we, we, we work at developing the gifts that God has given us. But today, this very day, you and I have everything that we need. And if we offer that up to God in faith, he can multiply it in an incredible way, just as he did in the feeding of the four and the 5,000. So let's tear down the trust structure in our minds, in our thinking, that keeps us from fully trusting in God. We need to look at the last one. And I, I honestly don't remember what time I started, so that's a bad thing. Because, uh, <laughs> um, you know, they, I'm a bus driver, so if you want to get a bus driver to stop, you've got to ring the bell, okay? So <laughs> and then we have control at the front. We can shut the bell off. So, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Oh, uh, Anyway, so that's the trust structure of thinking. So the last one is the trust structure of talent our gifts and abilities, the things that we're good at. And you know, uh, I grew up in a Mennonite church, and in the Mennonite culture, it's, it's not common, and it's not seen as, as okay to sort of talk about the things that you're good at. It's seen as prideful. So, so we've created kind of this whole culture of false humility. There's like, oh, I can't do anything. Oh, so everybody's way better at me than that. You know, true humility, uh, I'll give you two quick definitions. One is from David Brooks. It says, 
Humility is low self-preoccupation, not low self-esteem. It's low self-preoccupation, not low self-esteem. Then C.S. Lewis has one that maybe you have heard that's uh, very similar. It's humility is thinking of yourself less, not thinking less of yourself. And, and so humility is where, where we, we realize the gifts that God has given us. And we acknowledge them and, and we, we, we thank God for them and we want to function to the fullest of our abilities and capabilities within them. But we don't become preoccupied with them. We realize that every gift that God has given me is to be a blessing to someone else. And so I'm not thinking of myself a lot. I'm thinking of others. Low self-preoccupation, not low self-esteem. So what are the gifts and the abilities that, and the talents that God has given you? And in the midst of those, do we trust in those or do we trust in God? You know, in the Old Testament, there's, there's numerous stories of, of uh, the journey of the children of Israel as they were, they were coming out of Egypt and, and going into the promised land. And, and there was many battles they fought. And in the midst of many of those battles, God moved in supernatural ways. One of those in, is in Joshua chapter 6. It's about Jericho. And I think we, you probably many of you know the story. There was a walled city, and, and God told them, you know, march around the wall once a day for, seven, or for six days. And on the seventh day, march around seven seven times, you know, singing and, and praising and then shout at the end and, and then the walls will fall down. Like this is a bizarre battle strategy, but it worked and the walls fell down and God was glorified. Well, in the next chapter, there's this little place called Ai. A and this is in jo Joshua chapter 7 and, and they sent some people and they came back and said, oh, we don't even have to send very many. We can just take them. It's no problem. Well, they sent a few just as they thought and it didn't work. It didn't work. They began to trust in their own abilities. Their own ways of thinking. And it didn't work. Then God gave them the plan and the strategy and they went in and they conquered it. And over and over that story is, is replicated throughout the Old Testament. And, and David writes in Psalms chapter 20, verse 7, he says, some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. As I pondered that verse, I, I think, well, what do horses and what do chariots represent? Well, they could represent a few things. I mean, in, in that time, the horses and the chariots, I think, were often equated with military strength. So, so do we trust in our military strength? Or do we trust in God? Well, well another way that uh, we can think of the horses and chariots, it's, it's things that we can see. It's so much easier to trust in the things that are seen than the things that is, are unseen. Some may trust in horses and chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. In Luke chapter 5, there's um, the story when, when Jesus is going to call uh, Simon uh, and his brother Andrew to come to be disciples. And so he, he's gathered uh, at the shore, and there's a crowd gathering. So he gets into Peter's boat, or at this time he's still called Simon. He gets into his boat, and he, he says, just put out a bit from the shore. So he begins to teach from the boat. And then when he's done teaching, he says to Simon, he says, why don't we just go on out, you know, push out into the water, and let's go fishing. And Simon says, well, 
Well, we've been out for a long time and we hadn't caught anything. But if you say that we should go, we will go. So they go, and, and, and if you've read the story, you know that then they, they, they put down their net, and they caught so much fish that they couldn't, they couldn't contain it all. They had to call another boat over to help, and, and the amount of fish filled both boats. It says that they began to sink. So fast forward to the end of John. This is the end of Jesus' time here on earth, getting very close to the end. John chapter 21. Jesus has been crucified. He's now resurrected. He's appeared to the disciples a few times. And let's, uh, in this story in John chapter 1, 21, Simon and some of the other disciples, they're, they're a bit unsure of what they should be doing because, you know, they had invested their whole lives in following this guy. And, and now it just hadn't worked out the way that they had hoped. So what did they do? They did what was familiar. We went out onto the water to fish. And they fished all night, and they didn't catch a thing. And they're coming into the shore, and there's someone standing on the shore who is Jesus, but it tells us clearly they did not see who it was. They did not discern, or they could not tell that it was Jesus. And Jesus yells out to these guys. He says, friends, have you caught anything? And they're like, no, we've been working hard all night, but we haven't caught a thing. And then he says, put your net down on the right side of the boat. I don't know about you, but when somebody gives me advice in the area that I feel like I have some expertise in, like what I do for a living, I don't always receive it kindly. So, so I drive for a living. I've been a professional driver for 35 years. And yet, when I drive with other people, and sometimes with my wife. She wants to give me driving advice. Now how about, how many guys here, just ask the guys, could ask the girls too, but how many guys here like getting advice how to drive from their spouse? Oh, there's one guy, you're, you're a good guy. <laughs> one time, uh, a few years ago, Angie and I were going to a church uh, to speak on a Sunday morning. And I was going to speak, be speaking about a message that I had called the seat of humility, which is another definition of humility is, is being willing to receive correction. And in the midst of it, we're driving there through the countryside. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. And I'm looking around the way I like to do, you know, as a farm boy. And, and, uh, and, and as we're driving along, there's a car coming towards us. And I'm looking, oh, what's that building over there? And, and Angie's like, you might want to keep your eyes on the road. And I was like, and then I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to speak about functioning in humility and being willing to receive correction. So I was like, thank you, Angie. That is wonderful advice. I should keep my eyes on the road. But in the midst of life, when, when we, we are given advice, we're given correction, we're given uh, uh, some helpful tips, in, in the area that we feel like we have some gifting in. You know, Peter, he's, he's out in this boat. He was a fisherman for many, many years. And Jesus is standing on the shore. I mean, the first time in Luke chapter 5, um, 
Jesus had started his ministry and, and he knew who Jesus was and he, he'd be like, yeah, okay, if you're saying it, you know, because if an expert or someone who we really respect is giving us some advice, then we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll receive that. But in this case, they didn't know who he was standing on the shore. But yet, they took the advice and then they realized who Jesus was. And I have found in my life, sometimes God wants to give me a message that I need to hear, and he is going to use a vessel, a messenger, to give me the message that I may find offensive. It may be somebody that I don't respect a whole lot or that I really look up to and revere. But can I have the humility in my heart, the trust in God, not the trust in my own talents or abilities, to receive the message that God wants to give me in that time and place. It's in those moments where what's in our heart is tested. And as it's revealed, I pray that you and I can let go of the trust structure that depends on our own talents or abilities and that we truly trust in God. I have uh, some gifts in, in organizational things and administering things. And I don't like being at events that, I, uh, that I'm a part of that are poorly planned. Some of you are probably identifying, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. And, and I can s quickly slip into judgmental mode. It's like, well, if I was doing this, it wouldn't be this way. And I was pondering that, and I was thinking about if I was at the feeding of the 5,000 or the feeding of the 4,000. The days and, or the hours had gone on, I'd be like, oh, these people are getting hungry. They need something to eat. Like, who's, gonna, who's taking care of this? Who's in charge of this event anyway? Jesus wasn't concerned about that. What do you have? And in the midst of life that can sometimes be chaotic. You know, in our home, we have a sort, a sort of a, a just so that we like. And you all have a just so in your own home. And it's different. It's, it's not like, you know, totally neat and tidy and everything put away or totally cluttered. Either or is okay. It's whatever, however you choose to live. It's your just so. But my just so is a certain way, and I like it to be that way each and every day. And when it gets out of that, it's, it's, it's like, oh, what am I trusting in? Am I trusting in, in my ability to control things, or am I trusting in God? And last year, uh, our daughter, who had just moved out, the final one who had moved out, and we finally had an empty nest, and uh, 10 months later, she decided she's moving from Kitchener to Vancouver. And so in the midst of that process, she moved all of her belongings uh, back into our house for this process of sorting and deciding what she was going to move to Vancouver, what she was going to sell. And so for several weeks, our house was complete chaos. I really, really struggled. <laughs> and then in the midst of that, one day, 
I realized that the toilet is leaking. And this was the same toilet I had fixed about a month earlier. I didn't quite fix it right. And I'm a fixer. Again, I, I, it's, a, it's, it's something that I, I have an ability to do at some level. And in the midst of that, am I going to trust my abilities or am I going to trust God? And so, so, so there was this one day where, where it just all came to a head. There's chaos everywhere. The toilet is leaking and I'm starting to work on the repair again. And we sat down to eat and all of a sudden I just started to cry. And I'm like, what is going on? And I think in the midst of that, God was dealing with a trust structure in my heart that was trusting in my own ability, my own ability to fix things, my own ability to control things, my own ability to administer, administrate and have my household be in a certain way that I feel comfortable with. And when all of that was torn away, can I still trust in God and still find his peace in the midst of the situation? I remember on the Saturday night, we went to Lowe's. It was the only store that's still open on a Saturday night at 8 o'clock because I'm still working on this bathroom. And, and, uh, and I went, and I won't get into all the details, to, to get this part. And I was talking to the guy, and I realized they don't have this part. And, and, and I, was just, I remember looking over at Angie, and I'm like, what have I done? And I was like, oh. But amazingly, God showed a way. <laughs> I can't give you the whole story and get into the details, but God showed a way how we could fix it and get it back in order. And, and it was amazing how God provided. But in my life, it was dealing with the trust structure in my heart of depending on my own abilities. The very gifts that God has given me, the very gifts that God has given you can become something that we trust in more than we trust in God. Because our trust in God can get us through the midst of all kinds of chaos when we have no control over the situation. There we can trust in God. And so as we think of these four trust structures of traditions, theology, thinking, and talents, they're all kind of intertwined and they're all a part of our lives each and every day. And I want to invite you into this journey of wrestling with these issues in your heart and allowing the Holy Spirit to bring you to new levels of trust in God so that you and I can truly declare that we trust in the Lord with our whole heart. We are not leaning on our own understanding. In all of our ways, we're acknowledging Him and we trust that you are going to direct our path. And that can happen as we have this beautiful relationship with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us who guides us and leads us and has given us his word. I love how you gave the scriptures out this morning to those youngsters. And I want to declare to each one of you that this book is alive and it is our greatest resource that we tangibly have at our fingertips. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It, 
It pierces even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And I knew that first part for many, many years. And I, it wasn't until I committed to memorizing part of that, uh, several verses around that to memory, that I realized what the last part of that verse says. It tells us that it judges this book that is alive and living and active. It's like if you hold it and you, and you got the heartbeat of God in you, you actually feel it beating in your hands. It tells us in the last part of that verse, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. That's how the trust structures come to light so we can let them go and truly trust in God. Let's pray. I invite you to stand as we, as we pray. Just change your position. I, I think I've gone on way longer than what I intended to. My apologies for that. Father God, thank you. Thank you, thank you that you love us so much that you gave your son Jesus to die on the cross and that if we put our trust in him, we can be saved from our sins. Thank you that you have sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within each one of us, to empower us, to strengthen us. Thank you that you've given us the living, active word of God. And we thank you that we can trust you with our whole heart and our whole being. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just bring to light in each one here in this room and those who are watching online the trust structures that we have in our hearts that are keeping us from fully trusting in you. And I pray that each one's response to you would be, yes, Lord. We want to let that go and we choose to trust in you. And so we thank you, Lord. We bless you. I just pray a blessing over this congregation. Pray, Lord, that you would lead them and guide them and that you would raise them up as a mighty light in this community to show forth the light of Jesus to all that they meet. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we ask all these things. Amen and amen. God bless you all.